This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4 Z out of Brisbane, Australia. My name is Hazel Collins. I'm normally addressed as Annie Hazel when I do interviews. I founded Grandmothers Against Removals back in 2014. It started out as a result of my grandchildren being removed from their mum. I, I always knew about stolen generation and children being removed by the department, but until my, my babies were taken, I really didn't realise the extent that it was occurring. So the idea behind it was to empower Aboriginal people to stand up and expose the activities of the department and highlight how many children are out there not with family and being removed from their parents. And when they remove children, they don't just remove them from parents, they remove them from whole of family and community. So that's very, very traumatic, very, very hard for us as adults, exceptionally hard for the children and causes lifelong problems. Yeah. Can you tell us, uh, do you know what the extent of the problem of removal of children from Aboriginal families is like in Australia? It's almost 10 times more than non-Indigenous children being removed. Um, Many, many thousands of Aboriginal children that are still being removed. Even as we speak, there's children children being removed from their families. And it's just very, very hard to understand and how this is continuing to happen. Kevin Rudd said, sorry, many years ago, and... Absolutely nothing has changed. Mm. As a matter of fact, it's gone beyond the numbers ever recorded in history. And it's sad. It is. Can you tell us why? I mean, it's very horrible for any child to be separated from their family. But why is it uh, particularly difficult for Aboriginal children and their families? My my belief is it goes way back to invasion. um, When the protection board was set up, and Aboriginal people were moved off their cultural lands and put onto missions. And children were taken because they were Aboriginal to assimilate into non-Aboriginal society as maids, stockmen, labourers and so forth. And that mentality has never, ever changed within the government system. All All their policies and procedures the legislations are all still governed on that. It's flawed. And it can't work unless government are willing to sit down and openly have a conversation with Aboriginal people so that we can jointly sort out what the problems are and how we move forward in a positive way. And governments aren't doing that. And we're still having the same argument with government and with the department. Like the way the system is now, they only have to hold out our babies for a very short period of time. That's not even 12 months. And they can adopt our babies out anywhere in the world without parental authorisation to do that because they go under the minister and the minister signs off on the adoption. Parents have no say once they go under the minister. It's disgusting and 
There's nowhere in their policies, procedures or legislation um, for restoration. My own daughter fought for seven years to get her children back. Um, certainly when they go under the minister, they go, they go under the minister till they're 18. Um, we as adults have an 18-year sentence and certainly our children do. It's very, very traumatic and it's, it's something that never, ever goes away and we carry that pain and suffering to the day we die. That's a really long time to not be able to address the problems that the department thinks you have as a parent yes. and not get yes. your children back. There, there is a process, a court process, that is a Section 90, and that is the only chance that parents do have to get their children back. But then they've got to fight the department, and it's not very often that that process is successful. You really need to have a high level of um, understanding of legal stuff, don't you, to be able yes, to do that? Yes, and and it's like a, a lot of people, not only Aboriginal but non-Aboriginal as well, yeah. do not have the resources um, money-wise to be able to get good solicitors that will make it a successful outcome and it's, it's very, very hard. You know, when they do take our babies, like myself, I'll use myself um, as the maternal grandmother. I had to actually be assessed to be able to have my grandchildren. And that is up to the interpretation of the department whether I'm successful in that or not. Thankfully, I was. Yeah. But to me, it's very demeaning to have to have a department to assess your suitability to look after your grandchildren like I'm a great grandmother I've got 40 grandchildren and I could have all my other grandchildren in my home except the ones the department took and initially they deemed me unsuitable I I feel it's an insult to have to be assessed by somebody you don't know as to whether you're suitable to have your own grandchildren like I I've never drank alcohol, I've never done drugs, I don't have a criminal record. I've worked as a nurse for over 30 years and yet without even meeting me, they deemed me unsuitable. Their attitude was I was just as bad as my daughter. I, I did balk the system for quite some time in relation to having an assessment done, but yeah. I, I did do it and I was successful. And I did get my grandchildren. I had them for about 18 months. And my, my daughter was successful with a Section 90. And But the, yes, they did come home. But there's a degree of them that didn't come home. Yeah. Um, and we do have a lot of healing to do together as a family. Like, for instance, my one of my grandsons, I had a very close relationship with him before he was removed and it's very hard for me even now. He does never remember being in my home. We're constantly reminding him that we do love him. We always wanted him. We always fought for him. But he doesn't understand um, and there's a part of him that won't accept that. So it does create a lot of problems. Um for us as family, 
And the other issue we have with the department is, you know, it's only natural if you take away a member of that family. There's going to be psychological problems, especially for a child um, that doesn't understand why and why can't they come home and we're not allowed to talk to them about the process, legal process that we're going through. Nine times out of ten, we're not even allowed to know where they are. My own daughter had access to her children four times a year for two hours. Do you think that the government is holding Aboriginal parents to a much higher standard than they are to white parents? Most definitely, and and we we do grow up different. Um, I have a lot of problems trying to explain this to people, but mm. I I grew up on a mission where we didn't just belong to mum and dad; we belonged to everybody, and it was a very sharing and nurturing environment, and. It, it, like my mum never ever drank, but if we had auntie up the road that that was drinking, well, their kids would come down to home, and so they were always safe. We sleep with our babies, and that that's just how it's always been throughout generations upon generations. We parent as not just mum and dad, but as a community. And this is something that we try to explain to the department, but we're not asking for their understanding as such because I I do acknowledge that it would be very difficult. But all we're asking of them is to acknowledge that we parent in a different way. And because it doesn't fit into their little pigeonholes of what a parent should do and be doesn't mean it's wrong. We don't go out there and tell non-Indigenous communities that they've got a parent the way we parent. And I have a great deal of issue with um, the department where they say, oh, you've got to do a parenting course. My God, my daughter had five children um, you can't tell me that she didn't know how to be a mum. Yeah. And I've asked the question uh, probably a million times, um, who created these parenting courses? Because I'd really like to meet that perfect parent. <laughs> There's no perfect parent. We all learn as individuals in different ways. There's certainly no perfect child, but we love them for all of their quirkiness and that's what makes us individuals because we are all different. Mm. My own daughter done seven of them and still thinking that she would get her babies back but it didn't work like that. So I can see why you might call this another level of assimilation then because you're being asked to change the way that you might have parented to suit the department's idea of parenting. Yeah and it, it really does um, annoy me because I've, I've said to them, what makes you a better parent than me? Like part of the assessment was, like, I'm Aboriginal. Um, my mum, my dad, all my family were Aboriginal. I'm married to a non-Aboriginal. And 
I know the problems we have sometimes with the cross-culture and trying to understand each other. And we've been married for a very long time. Um, And one of the questions I was asked when I was doing the assessment was, what does it mean to you to be Aboriginal? And I thought, oh, my God, look, I'm not often very stuck for words, but I was. Because it's it's not something you can learn to be in a book. It's it's a living experience. It's it's what's inside that makes that pride and love of who you are and where you come from. We have a very rich cultural heritage, and when our children go away and they're not with us. It's not just good enough for them to go to Aboriginal Week or learn something at school. That's not how it's done. It's it's a living, daily, passing down of stories and talking to them about the dream time and their ancestors and creation. It's a living thing. And when they're taken away, how how are they meant to be strong Aboriginal men and women when they grow up. They can't because they've, they haven't had that. Children are losing their identity by this process? Most definitely. 